Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. God help you if you use voiceover in your work, my friends. God help you. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. I don't want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie. Everyone's really hoping makes it happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated R movie, you know? The guy you're not sure whether or not you like yet. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I'm Jeremy Fisk, and as always, I am joined by Chapin Hemingway and Lee Carlo. Uh, this week, we decided to check out Alfonso Caron's newest movie, Roma, which is streaming on Netflix. So if... Uh, if, if you have Netflix, it's an easy way to watch it. And then we're going to be talking about our top five long takes. is from a director that we I know we all respect a lot and he is sort of known as a technical master and it was certainly on display here in this movie and I've been reading a bunch of reviews on it and I was just kind of curious what critics thought of it and it, it and and the m word got thrown out a lot on this movie masterpiece masterpiece and my question to you is pretty simple. Do you think he created a masterpiece that's going to stand the test of time in this movie? Hmm. I mean, to answer the, the first part of that question, I think the answer is no. Um, well, it's always hard to say because to be considered a masterpiece, I think it has to stand the test of time, but we won't know that for some time. You know what I mean? But... I, I don't know. I don't feel like it was a masterpiece for this director. And that isn't to say that this was bad or even anything much less than great, to be honest. But um, th I, I felt like to be a masterpiece, uh, it needs to be the culmination of all the things that we praise the director for. And I don't know that, that this had that. And I'm, I, we'll get into more of that, but we'll hear what Chapin has to say. Well, I think that's an interesting uh, question, Jeremy, from you. Um, I mean, what's interesting to me about Quaron is that, is it Kuron? How do you say his name? Alfonso Kuron? I think that's right. Okay. Yeah. Is that this, this is clearly, um, at least from what I understand it to be, his most personal film that he's ever made. And um, I, I, as you, you uh, Jeremy, you you said that the masterpiece has been thrown around, and I I found it interesting that uh, Kuran's name has been thrown around as like one of the greatest living directors of our time. And um, I certainly love his movies, but it just was surprising to me that that was um, that that was coming up uh, because I, I I don't necessarily think of him that way, even though I, I love him as a director, and um, especially after Gravity, and you know. Uh, excited to see anything that he puts out, but this was his most personal film, and I think, um, you know, he was he grew up in the neighborhood it was filmed in, and I think he was um, akin to one of the children that um, the main character takes care of, and it was kind of an ode to his, uh, you know, nanny slash housekeeper, whatever we want to call her, um, and I think in that sense, like he made the greatest possible movie he could. Um, given that, given that sense, I mean, it, 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 it may not be as kind of, um, magnetic and, um, absorbing as say gravity is in the sense that that's such a kind of almost physical experience for people when they watch it, you know, um, and you know, it may not be quite as sort of, uh, topical and interesting as children of men, but in the sense that it's this kind of representation of his life and, um, you know, life for other, for, 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 you know, for sort of real people, 
um, to me, I think it, it, I don't know how it could be better. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason I wanted to ask you guys that question is because since finishing it, I've been asking myself that question. I mean, I was enthralled with this movie. I mean, it was, it's just so, I, I hate to use like the typical, it was just so beautiful to look at, but it was, it was so captivating. Yeah. Not, I mean, not only was the cinematography just amazing, but the set pieces in this were out of this world. Like wherever you wanted to look in that frame, he kind of had some control over this with hundreds of extras and these long takes where you're just going through a whole, uh, go, going through Mexico City block by block by block and there's hundreds of period cars and period trains and like the, every the set decoration too on this every store yeah. yeah every store front had extras in it with like these big windows and then like you said even the set decorate it blows my mind like I know these are more technical things but they really do even if you don't know all that stuff and you're just watching the movie they all that stuff layered together really uh, captures your imagination in a way that I don't know if I've seen a film in years do that. And I also felt like I was watching a film from a different time, not just a different time period, but a different time. Like I was maybe watching a Fellini movie or something like that. Um, it was, It was, and I don't know the answer if I feel like it's a masterpiece or not, but it's pretty well knocking on the door if it isn't. It, it, what I what I remember what thinking about it you know right after I watched it was it has this great feeling of atmosphere um, and that's something like it's so rare for me in movies to feel but you kind exactly. of feel at home in that place like you eventually um, after the way he kind of positions the camera in in that um, in those in the people's home the people she where I guess she lives as well but the the family she takes care of and it it, it uh, for you, you know, you you start the movie in there, and then Jeremy, as you say, like it, it's not like twenty, or, it's not until like twenty or thirty minutes into the movie that you actually really get outside of that of that house. And you know, as much as I enjoyed seeing the Mexico City and 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 all the things you just described, I I felt like a, a strange need to like go back into that house and felt a little bit at home there, even though it was you know as part of the plot, uh, you know, strife with conflict and um, whatever was happening between the parents that was causing all these family issues. Um, but he just creates this atmosphere that uh, you just, you feel, I don't know, at home or that you're living in this place. And that was so powerful to me. I think that's like the one, the most significant thing I took away from Roma. Yeah, I think it's interesting we haven't even spoke of plot because this movie's not about necessarily the plot. It is about the story a bit, but it's really about um, Karan's mastery and what he's doing as a storyteller more than anything else. Yeah, there's three things in particular, and this comes back to kind of my response to your question, Jeremy, about, you know, a a masterpiece being defined as the culmination of all of a, di a director's skills and and attributes and and I'm kind of looking over my notes here at these kind of three defining things about Quran and I'm trying to like put them in context of this movie and how well they came across and if in fact they were the you know the best we've seen from him and the the first thing is kind of the through line through theme I guess that I kind of uncovered going back and watching some of his other movies and it's this idea of of death and then rebirth um you see it a lot in his other movies obviously children of men might be the most obvious with um julian moore and clive owen's character losing a child and then obviously this new baby that is born uh in the world where everyone is infertile uh in gravity you have something similar sandra bullock loses a child and then you have you know you the end shot which may be open for interpretation but watching it again i kind of looked at that scene when Sandra Bullock lands on Earth and kind of slowly stands up and they pan up as that's sort of her rebirth now that she's back on Earth. And right, then, and that shot where she looks like she's in the womb kind of with the... Yeah, exactly, in the water and climbing out of that. Um, and then in Roma, you have um, you have two very significant scenes. You have one that deals yeah, with death. Well, I don't, I don't want to spoil, spoil it. it. Yeah, uh, you have one that deals with death and then you have one 
that is sort of, I think, a metaphor for for rebirth in a way. Both mm-hmm. done all in one take, um, which is uh, you know something we've certainly come to expect from him as well. Um, so that that theme, I think, is is again done really well here in in Roma. Um, the other thing is obviously his his technical prowess. Um, and, you know, his career working with Emmanuel Lubezki is obviously a, a big factor there. He shot this. He, he DP'd Roma himself. Um, but you see a lot of the same types of things, the long takes, the beautiful cinematography. Uh, Roma all black and white looks amazing. Um, so, again, another uh, again, I, I don't I, I think it would be we'd be hard pressed to say that technically this is the culmination of his work with movies like Gravity and Children of Men. But either way, it's it's up there with you know, some of his best work. Um, but then there's the final piece, which is, is something that I think, again, he really strives for, and that's an authenticity. Um, and you see it with, again, with the long takes. Um, he, you know, often has uh, arguably realistic sex scenes or graphic sex scenes in a lot of his movies. Um, and in this case, you know, he cast a, or a non-actor in his lead role. And I wonder if that was something that maybe hurt this movie, even though it was done well, that the, the the personal element and the authenticity that he wanted to bring to this movie maybe took his audience out of it. You know, it was very personal for him, like this story of this housekeeper. But, you know, is it personal for him? Does it is it allowed to be personal for us? I, I You know, I'm curious what you guys think about that. I mean, I think I was totally invested in this character, but I wonder if that was almost to a fault that that authenticity of this movie uh <clears throat> i know what you mean i know that sometimes i mean i thought she was fabulous i i i don't i don't think she hurt the movie in terms of her acting quality is that what you're suggesting no 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 i in fact the well the acting piece is a whole nother thing and i think I, it's we'll, it, this movie is worth a, re, a revisit for a number of reasons but i always have a hard time um my first time through a foreign film with performances because I can't pay quite as much attention to it because sure. I'm reading the subtitles, but it had nothing to do with that. Like for me, it's more as, as invested as I was in that character, like the world beyond that, that he creates here is all part of what is very clearly a personal story for Quran. Sure. And I don't know that that all translated to me as an audience member. So I don't, you know, did the whole movie work as a result, you know, for him, like it's probably you know exactly what he wanted to do. He got all everything off his chest, or however you want to put it. But how did that translate to the audience? That was kind of the question I left with. I mean, I f- I feel like I, I kind of get what you're saying as far as just like is this story worth telling to a sort of a broad audience, or is right? It That's just, a good way to put it. Yep. Is it just him sort of regurgitating his past? Mm. Um. And I think it is worth telling. And I, I was, I was absolutely like fascinated to be in his head or in, uh, more in his memory, you know. And that's mm-hmm. what this this movie felt like—a realistic form of being inside of his his memory. You all right there, Chapin? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of the great ways in which he did this is of course with his camera work and you mentioned those two scenes Lee and again I don't want to spoil anything but there are two scenes that because of the long take and and this applies to the whole movie but those scenes in particular they're unflinching like you can't get out of it there was a point when i wanted it to end i wanted to look away i wanted him to cut i wanted there to be some sort of edit but the movie doesn't let you do that um and it's obvious on those more dramatic scenes but throughout the whole movie it's the same thing and it's a good quality i'm not saying it's a negative quality it's really good quality where there's these just unflinching takes where you just have to live with it and the not only do you have to live with it the beauty that he puts into these takes oh my god is unreal like you talk about like the christmas party and then there was the fire and you know there was i mean you know, you know what comes to mind when you say that jeremy is the is the one in the movie theater which you don't really think of 
because it, the camera doesn't move. It's not very exciting. Yeah, it's in terms stationary. Of the it's stationary, but just like the image, it's so mm-hmm. beautiful. And I think the long take especially works there because you kind of know what's hap- what's going to happen. He, she reveals to him that right. that she's pregnant, and then he walks out, and he's he's gone for you know for months, presumably, um, and just that the anguish of that of that take as you feel it and. As you real, as it sinks in, as it sinks into her, and it sinks into you as an audience member, and you're just sitting there in the movie theater with her, um, and everyone else who's like he has probably I don't know, he probably has like two hundred extras for this one static shot. At least, the, at least, yeah, yeah, at least, and the, and all these shots, like I said before, the depth of field is so amazing where you can see everything. Like he has to control everything in those frames, and the fact that he's not cutting makes it that much more difficult for him to like have controlled all that those aspects together and it's fascinating and and it just comes together in this um like just beautiful looking piece of art so i want to ask you guys in terms when it comes to those long takes because obviously like we said quran is is very well known for that now um but it, at what point, and I don't think it happens here, and I think it has a lot to do with his attention to detail and covering the entire frame with amazing sets and, you know, using and those extras being important. But at what point does do those long takes kind of become conscious of themselves? You know what I mean? Like that no longer is are, are we marveled by the shots that he's doing, but we become so much to expect them that they're they almost are like self-aware. Yeah, I, I I had that thought when I was putting together my top five, and I did not feel that that applied to any of the shots um, in in this movie, except perhaps the the last one that we haven't talked about yet. The uh, the one you I guys agree. already mentioned. Um, I agree, Chip. I thought it was extraordinarily powerful in the uh, the birth scene, which we're not talking about. I guess we don't want to give yep. it away or something. Um, I think it's I think it's in a little bit I think perhaps we should spoil those scenes because especially that last one I'd like to talk a little bit more about. Um but but I but I I mean I'm looking at my top 5 here uh and I I think they're all great but they're all exactly as you're describing like they are conscious of themselves and I I question the validity of their inclusion in the movies to some extent. They are just awesome and cool and they right. are they it's it's showing off. I I never felt that in in Roma except perhaps at the at the for at the end. Um but I mean yeah, I, I don't know I, I don't I know that I've ever felt that way in any of his movies, which is amazing. Like I so I've I rewatched a lot of his movies and I also caught up on good, some good, I hadn't good. seen. Um I I don't ever feel like they're so, they all feel so appropriate. And I think a lot of it has to do with that authenticity that he's trying to capture. Like, you know, I've even heard him talking about the, the car scene in children of men where, you know, you're, you're supposed to be right in there with him. That's the whole, uh, with those characters, that's the whole purpose of that shot. So when you have a motive, yeah, that let's is, not talk too much about this stuff though. Cause we will talk about it during right. our top five. Yeah. But when you have a motive, I think it's, it makes a huge difference in, a, in keeping it from becoming, you know, self-aware. And he does that. I mean, but the- also, what's what's wrong with, like, part of this whole thing of these long takes is that we as an audience, and especially people who are filmmakers, realize the technical achievement and prowess of doing something like that. And what's wrong with acknowledging that, yeah. even on that basic level? We yeah. tried to do it on Through the Woods with the opening shot, but... We had to cut around it. Well, that hey, you're ruining top fives. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I think um, I think you're you're right, Jeremy. I mean, it, I think it is fine to point out when it's when it's when it's fine. But, but I do I do I do recognize Lee's point that it can be distracting in some ways. Um, but it, I think it's interesting. You know, we've all read Walter Murch's book uh, in the blink of an eye, which is about editing. And of course, you know, a long take is 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 either a real long take or it's or it's gone to great lengths to hide the edits and so it's it's really it's essentially an absence of edits an absence yeah. of editing and i think that Crone that can, puts editors out of work yeah right that's that's why he's his own editor um and so i i think it's interesting that uh you know you you bring that up i mean we we go we have a certain expectation of you know like 
on the one extreme end where you've got you know a michael bay film where the average length of a scene of a, of a shot is like you know two or three seconds and then you know you go into a, 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 a some of these shots which are like you know some of them are nearly 10 minutes long um and you can feel like the the the, the, the tension building in those things. And I, and I think that that's, that's, that, that's sort of the most uh, conspicuous use of those takes is to build tension. But in some cases they can also just be very, um, I don't know. It's, I, I, I'm not really sure how, why uh, Kuran uses them in this movie as much, but I, from, from, for some reason what's coming to mind right now is that shot where um, she's uh, Cleo is turning the lights off in the house and mm-hmm. the camera is just kind of turning around and slowly following her. I don't know. Like something about that was just so powerful. Um, I agree. It worked, I, no, it I think worked it worked amazing in yeah. this movie. Um, and it did, did, I think part of it is it gives you a sense of time and a sense of place that you couldn't otherwise have gotten from um, a bunch of cuts because you're, you're, basically transported there and you're like i said before it's unflinching you can't look like you you have nothing else to to go to there's no other uh different angle or something like that so you're just sort of you're 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 going through that house you're going through those streets you're dealing with this riot you're dealing with this birth um and it's but i I don't don't know i think it's it's more than just that like the scene where she's shutting off all the lights like it, it creates such a like a a sense of real time which is sort of important because it kind of shows the i guess maybe monotony of her life and like her place in that house and kind of her daily routine which becomes really important because her relationship with that family is is a, a huge part of what got me so invested in her there's this little scene i guess not a little scene it's a pretty important scene but the scene where she tells uh her boss uh, miss sophia that she's pregnant and like she's n- afraid to she's or is she gonna lose her job and 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 sophia is so accepting of it and like you know immediately says like we got to get you to a doctor and we got to do this and like everybody they, they tr- really do just love her and the kids love her and like those relationships just felt so real and authentic to me but that all plays back into the importance of you know showing her life and and he does it very often in real time and you kind of see her place in their lives did you ever feel though that especially with the mother um that she was like kind of i felt like corone needed to show that she was like a human like like that she had a bad side to her too and that there's these points where she would just aggressively snap and that well they had her coming home drunk and stuff too that one those feel inauthentic those moments felt a little inauthentic well if we if if we kind of spread our wings a little bit beyond just the story of cleo like the subplot of her and her husband leaving i feel like was a a weaker element of the script um you know and her kind of rising above that and you know talking to the kids about how their life is going to be different but it's still going to be fine you know with their father gone and I don't know. I felt like that was a little forced in there and force fed to us. Uh, well, I guess, I mean, so like just parts, but it shows how people, you know, evolve and change over time. And, you know, but it's it seemed a little bit weird because she wasn't the main character and it, it became a little jarring at how quickly these sort of stages happened. But I, very, I had a very minor fault. Yeah, I had a similar issue, though, with the that character of Furman um, in his, you know, uh, involvement with I don't know what that was a militia or whatever that he was I I, I right. imagine that who he was training with was also the same people that you know went and stormed the the shop and and that one other scene um, but mm-hmm. that was another plot point and or story piece that I I wasn't as invested in and I wasn't as interested in as the, you know Cleo as a character which obviously all of it came back to her. Um, but if you guys don't have anything else, I'd like to spoil a couple things and talk about some of those longer takes. Well, I just had two quick questions for you guys. Um, sure. What did you guys think was the significance of the planes? 
And maybe I'm just oh, noticing like the, that because I love planes. Opening and closing shot. Well, you, you no, I can tell you. You see, you I've see the plane it. reflected in the opening shot. Which, if that's real, if they really did that and that's not CGI, I mean, that's incredible. That was incredible. Yeah, um, I think yeah. that it was real because it was. It was well, real. I don't know. But you've got you've got you know you see the planes from the rooftop, which I think was really interesting. The rooftop of the house, which is kind of like the maid's domain, you know, where they do all their stuff, and then you see them coming in and out of that. Um, of that shot where they're doing the martial arts kind of in the outskirts of the city. Well, according to IMDb, the reason that the, the plane motif was in there is because there was planes every five minutes. So mm. he just decided to incorporate. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there we go. Yeah, happy accident. I like how, I like how it, 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 we're over here, like filleting Alfonso Curran with his, his plane motif. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeremy just reads like, no, they just were flying overhead all the time, oh, and he was fuck. getting annoyed by it. Yeah. Um, oh, those planes aren't period accurate. <laughs> hey, locations, can we do anything about the planes? <laughs> <laughs> you you laugh. Yeah, I know it's so true. Unbelievable. Yeah, I once, had, I once had on Black Mass, they were annoyed that there was a helicopter above. And they're like, locations, what can we can we get rid of that helicopter? And I was like, Yeah, I'm working on it. And then obviously the helicopter naturally flew away in the next three <laughs> minutes. And they're like, like all oh. set. I'm like, all right, it's gone. I got I took care of it. And they're like, oh, you're, that guy's good. <laughs> Jeremy's gotten every job since then because yeah. of that. Um Did you have another question, Chapin? Oh, I just was wondering about the black and white, if you guys had any thoughts on why he shot it in black and white. Um, I don't know, but it don't worked. Know. Yeah, it I thought work. it was great. I sort of had a similar feeling of, with Jeremy. Like I felt like I was watching a Fellini movie or something, which makes us sound super pretentious. But um, I, yeah, I don't know. I I think this is weird, and I I hope maybe I have to cut this out if it becomes too controversial. But like, there is something comforting to me about black and white, and I, it reminds me of the way I feel when I watch. <laughs> schindler's list sometimes you know like i feel like the something comforting about watching schindler's list <laughs> the black and white kind of just makes it a little bit easier to watch that movie well yeah. not that the, I, I don't this i don't think has a whole lot to do with either one of those movies but um i have read that one of tarantino's reasons for cutting to black and white in the crazy 88 fight scene and kill bill was because there was so much yeah, blood he and had carnage to, right? like that, like he, MPAA like they like. I don't even know if it was an MPA thing, but I, it, I think it was like too much on your senses. Yeah. So, so like cutting to black and white made it more uh, like digestible. Yeah. So I just, I, I, just, I just picture Chapin and like Christmas just being like, oh, go. No one would be nice right now by the fire. Let's get the eggnog, eggnog, and put on some Schindler's List. <laughs> It's just a comforting movie. It's just a comfort. It's black and white. Well, and then we'll watch Irreversible afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so to spoil a couple things now, so if you haven't seen Roma and Intend 2, you may want to skip past this. Switch the channels. Um, uh, there are two uh, very significant scenes. One is the birth of Cleo's baby that turns out to be a stillbirth. And then there's another long take towards the end when they're at the beach uh, and Cleo is tasked with making sure she keeps an eye on the kids. Two of them go into the ocean and are kind of swept away by the waves and she has to run in to save them. And, um, you know, she doesn't know how to swim and she doesn't know how to swim. So um, what are you guys? You guys kind of hinted at the idea that maybe that last one. wasn't as effective and i felt the opposite so i'm curious what you have to say there yeah i i thought like chapin said it perfectly that uh the last one was the only shot in the movie where i felt it felt a little contrived to have that that one take only and it really only happened at the end of that shot when they all kind of came together in this whatever this this hug on the beach that that part just felt a little bit contrived to me but so, the other one the stillbirth one was the that one was rough i mean it didn't feel contrived but i like i said before i want i wanted it to, like i wanted there to be a cut i didn't even necessarily need it to end i just needed to look away from from that angle and which is effective in that moment but uh, it, it was, effective it was, despite how fake that baby looked <laughs> well i'm glad it didn't look realer yeah well so 
I agree with you about kind of the, you know, contrived hug at the end of that long take on the beach. But, man, I, so obviously anybody listening to this has seen it. But when he, when he walks away with her up the beach, the whole time I'm like, no, 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 no. Go back, go back, go back, look back, look back. They're drowning. I know they're drowning. I know that's what's happening. It was so effective for me. And even when you got into the water and like one of their heads popped up, it was such a sigh of relief, but then it went back down again and he held it for the perfect amount of time. Like I thought that shot was done so well. I, I, I agree. I, I felt that same, same way that you did Lee, but I did, I was more conscious of the camera on that shot than any other shot. Any, I, I guess maybe I agree with you there only because like, as soon as that take started, I knew he wasn't going to cut. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, that could just be, you know, uh, the result of watching a whole movie of long takes, but, and also knowing what I'm getting into with one of his movies. But I don't know, I, I, I thought the effectiveness of that shot trumped any issues with its self awareness. Yeah, I agree. It was a, I mean, it's an amazing, beautiful, and kind of harrowing shot. And I, 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 I just agree with Jeremy. I was just a little conscious of it. It seemed like right. it was, you know, what it, the, I think the one, sort of problem you run into with these long shots is you you are not able to um kind of play with time in the way that you are when you're editing and so in the sort of acute example of this take the the mother leaves and then in the same shot then the the, she's the drowning and then she's back like at the perfect time that she can't help but she's there to like comfort everybody and so it's like well where did she go and you know if you were to throw a cut in there you could you know, you could suggest that some time had passed, you know, little as it may be that she, you know, got out of the, you know, to the car or wherever she was going. You cut to her paying for something at the store or something, which, you know, you see all the time happen. Yeah. Or, or just that, I mean, presumably because it was, you know, like, like she pulled away or something. You could, you you don't even have to necessarily cut away from the scene, but if you throw one cut in there, you know, when they're, if, when they're comforting each other and before she runs up, you know, you could just assume that there has a little bit of time had passed. I mean, that is sort of the magic of editing and, and, and what it can do for in, in storytelling. And, um, that was just, that just kind of, I, I was conscious of, but otherwise it was just kind of amazing. I mean, um, what did you think of the birth scene, Chapin? I uh, it, it was astounding. I mean, you you think of those long takes as as being kind of a ballet of camera work and and moving uh, of of sort of people moving behind the camera. Um, yeah, everybody's working every, all, like everywhere and then getting right. out of the way. Yeah. It's more like you're imagining what's happening. But with this shot, it's I was just like, this is astounding that she can, especially someone who's an amateur actress, can can do this can the height uh, and the um, the emotional um roller coaster she goes on the ups and downs that she goes on in that shot are are just amazing and um well and what she does too and and this was a, and i know i had mentioned that performance wasn't something i took away from this because i you know spent my time reading subtitles but since there weren't a lot there you know i was able to watch her and what was amazing and and this comes from the direction too she never ever got too high or too low Mm-mm. so it didn't feel like it didn't feel like a performance you know mm-hmm. and and she has a very her character has a very quiet way about her and and i think it it played just as well there if not best in the movie where she just i don't know her reaction felt very right for her character and it, you know she didn't as we I, learned she didn't really want the baby and like so she but she has all these emotions i thought it was great and yeah i mean she did an amazing job um and I felt pressure for her. There were times I felt like there's so much going on in this frame right now, like, and there's so much depending on you to be able to just pull this off to get through this shot. Um, and I, th- I think she, she sold it. And I think you bring up a good point. I think part of it is that she never did have to get too high or too low or to perform too much. It was all about sort of keeping for the most part, keeping sort of a steady beat mm-hmm. with with her. And, and her face kind of says a lot. Um, you know, just just her look is interesting. Yeah, but I mean, she is that scene. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not, I think there's a lot of other things going on in it, but it's her that just, you're with her the whole time. And 
It, do you think he does intentionally, like, it, the way the doctors talk to her, they're like, your baby was dead, sorry, I need him back. Like, they're very direct and, like, almost like they're robots. Do you think they, he did that intentionally to kind of highlight her emotional ebb and flow in that scene? Well, they, I, I felt that way first. I mean, I think the, the one one example of the power the shot had on me, I, I, I never talk, and I hate it when people talk in movies, but I was just doing those things like, oh, God, don't give the baby back to her. Oh, my God, you know. Yeah. Um, and I was saying these things out loud. Uh, but uh, I, I, at first I felt that way. Like <laughs> I'm picturing you in the theater, though. I know you probably watched it at home, but yeah. just like saying those things with people around <laughs> you. <laughs> um, and, and she uh, – and they are kind of harsh, but it's an emergency. And, you know, they – they are used to those things, and you know, my, my uh, one of my best friends is a is a is a doctor, and and the way she talks about like awful, awful emergency things. I mean, I just think that's the way they are in a way. Um, so it but goes they, back to his authenticity, I guess. But they do they and they were those people were actually real doctors. Um, um, but also, you know, they do try to comfort her a little bit, and um, I, I think. I didn't understand why they gave the baby back to her, but but um, it was uh, yeah. I, I don't know that he was saying anything about about doctors. I mean, it is interesting because the 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 father, the one who causes all this chaos, is a doctor. Um, and oh, yeah. it, it, was that him who who was comforting yeah. her in the in the elevator. in the elevator? Okay, yeah. 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 So I mean, that was interesting um, when he was like, I, "I can't be in the room with you," and they're like, "Oh, you can," and then <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Oh, I got an appointment." <laughs> yeah, this guy doesn't seem to be uh, a. <laughs> yeah, he's he's he doesn't yeah. stick around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, you guys got anything else on Roma or Alfonso Curran? No, I mean, I think we we covered it. I, I mean, did we did we come to any sort of like where where does this rank amongst his movies to you guys and do you consider like do you well, feel like it is a great film so i immediately after watching and actually even during watching this i'm like i want to watch this again like i i really feel like it will it will do this movie justice for me to watch it a second time but i i didn't turn out to have any time anyway but i kind of decided i'm like no i want to do the podcast on my first viewing and just have this discussion and then yeah. You know, maybe watch it again before we get to the fixies and and see where I stand then, um, because there there's so much here. Like it's it's a, a really well made movie. Um, like I said, I found myself to be really invested in the main character. I I, I did feel like it had some story flaws. Um, you know, we've brought up some you know some points about you know the effectiveness of you know this shot or this shot, but we we've been nitpick nitpicking for the most part, which is always very telling. Um, on the quality of a movie, so yeah, I have a hard time um, quantifying this movie for myself. It's like I I don't yeah, know if I, I if I thought it was the best movie of the year. Uh, I, part of me thinks it's my favorite movie of his, and then part of me goes, you know, if I watched it again, would I feel the same the same way? Like I, I don't know. It's a it's a bizarre movie as far as that's concerned, but overall, I yeah, it's it's pretty amazing i i think that um he's he's such an interesting filmmaker and i'm so excited to see what he does next i i, I wondered i i you know when gravity finished and that was such a kind of breakout success and hit and you know both critically and and commercially and this is such an interesting film to follow that up with um but yeah, I mean, he is just a fascinating filmmaker to me. I think you know, Children of Men is. I watched that. Well, at least I got through some of it before the podcast, and that movie is so in my wheelhouse. But also such a striking movie, um, and uh, I, yeah, I, I think it needs to sit with me a little bit longer to see where it stands. But um, yeah. So can I ask you guys something that doesn't really have anything to do with Roma, but does with Quran? Is um, how much credit do you think? Uh, Emmanuel Lubezki deserves for his movies because he's wor he worked with him on at least five movies. I mean, dating all the way back to his first movie, he did. Um, he's done E Tu Mama Tambien. He did uh, Gravity, Children of Men. Uh, I don't know if he did the Harry Potter movie or not. He but, did. Um, he did. He didn't. No. Um, but I mean, he obviously deserves a lot of credit for 
the work, especially, I would say, in Gravity and Children of Men. He obviously won three Oscars in a row uh, with Gravity, Children of Men, and the Rev... Uh, not Children of Men, um, uh, Birdman, and The Revenant. So, I don't know, what do you guys think? Like, you know, we're praising Quran for his long takes and his ability to do this, and obviously credit is deserved, but uh, the man behind the camera is certainly <laughs> quite good. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think it's really interesting that uh, Chivo, Manuel Lebeski, bounces between these two sort of two of the you know greatest directors working today who are both – and all three of them are Mexican. They come from like the same film school, I think. And that's, well, he also worked with Malik in his heyday. Well, he, he works with Ma- – yeah, he shoots all of Malik's movies now. Yeah. Um, wow. but he, yeah, you know, he, he worked, he was, uh, Kuran's guy for, for a long, for a long time. They met in film school and they, they shot a bunch of stuff. They, they, they kind of came up together and then, um, he worked with Inaratu a couple times and then, you know, most significantly on, on the Revenant. And I think by his own admi- admission, like, uh, Emmanuel Lebeski was like, so a part of that movie. I mean, the cinematography is is such a character and so important in the revenant not that it's not in other movies but um and so i just think it, it I, I find it fascinating that 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 these that um this sort of mexican film school school is translated so well to uh, you know kind of a global scale um and I think he deserves a lot of credit, and I think that he—I I didn't feel his absence in um, Roma. I think Roma is a smaller film, and but he, but you could tell it wasn't uh, Emmanuel Lebesky's work. I think Emmanuel Lebesky's work is a lot. The camera moves a lot, but it moves in kind of a three-dimensional way more than it does in um, they did, did in Roma. You know, Roma felt a little more sort of proscenium-style um, filming and. Um, not that it was bad. I think it worked very, very well, but, it, uh, I think you could feel his absence here and I, I don't think it mattered. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, uh, bad for the film at all, but, um, I think that he is an, ex- he's my, I think he's one of my, he's, I think he's my favorite, uh, cinematographer and his work is extraordinary, but I, I think it's, uh, it's an interesting point of view that he can, um, not be a part of a film uh, with a collaborator, who he's worked with since he started making movies, and that can it, it can still work. I think is interesting. No, 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 no. Now you gotta admit that the steady camp shot in Goodfellas was the mud. the the basement of the the restaurant. The Copa in New York. Through the kitchen. Right. Yeah, I heard it took him four days to light for that shot. Four days. I don't know about four days. Yo, that's what I heard. Man. I want to have to hide all the lights. Jesus, that must have cost a fortune. Man, that's nothing, man. You know how much money my man spent on that Vegas movie? All right, so this week. Um, because of Roma and all the long takes in that film, we're doing our top five long takes. Uh, I guess I will ask, is there any criteria other than it has to be a long take? Yeah, I have an interesting question for you guys. Are you guys including takes that where the edits are hidden? You know, where it's uh, supposed to be so, like genuinely... I have, I have one where I wasn't sure. I don't think there are any hidden cuts. Um, but you guys may tell me that when we get to it that there was. But uh, for, for other than that, I did try to avoid that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think. Yeah, I don't know if any of these have hidden cuts. I don't know about. I, it's always possible. I did have some other criteria as well. Um, just for the sake of this list, and since we spent a lot of time talking about them, I I avoided any Alfonso Cuarón movies. Um, I also said uh, only one movie per director. Um, and then I tried to, Oh, that's a I, good uh, one. Cause <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I could, there was some cases where you could have like five from the same movie, <laughs> so never mind the same director. But, um, the other thing I did and, and this isn't, you know, uh, totally a criteria as much as just something I tried to look for and it's not present in all my picks, but I was looking for scenes that, um, put a toll on the actor or actors in the, in the scene. Um, so it wasn't just the technical prowess of the shot, but it also kind of put the actors in a position where they were forced to really work hard, um, uh, at least in some way. So yeah, that's um, interesting. That I, I I did that as well on my list. You know, what? I'm going to go with the same criteria of not putting uh, any of 
Caron's movies on my list. Oh, fuck. All right. <laughs> Javen's like, one through five, awesome. gravity. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to at least go by your thing, Jeremy, or uh, Lee, and I'm going to cut out... Um, I'm gonna cut out one, so that I have no, no, not the same director. No repeat directors. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, Lee, why don't you go first then? Okay. Um. So my number five is actually the one exception that I have to kind of the actor piece. Um, it's uh, from a movie called The Passenger. You guys familiar with this movie? No, I saw Michelangelo Antonioni or something. Oh, for f- um. So Jesus. I actually went I, I went back to the archives. I, I remembered this shot. <laughs> I admittedly didn't remember what movie it was from. Um, but I looked it up, and then I went back to the Get Your Film Fix archives and read my review on it. It wasn't a movie I was a huge fan of. Um, but basically, uh, it's the last shot of the movie. And uh, Jack Nicholson kind of lies down on the bed, and you start with what appears to just kind of be a still shot looking out into this um, town square like area through this kind of metal gate and the camera just v- so so slowly pushes in and y- you can barely tell it's moving um, the scene lasts about almost seven minutes mm. um, and it pushes and it goes through the through the uh, metal grate they basically when it gets close I'm sure just kind of pushed the bars aside in some way um, but it, it it's kind of cool without thinking about how it was done technically and it goes out into the square kind of pans around the entire square and then back around and looks back into the room through the same gate um, and kind of covers this whole thing and a bunch of little things going on in the square throughout throughout the entire shot. But it was the patience of the shot that was amazing. Like, it, it moved. The camera moves so slowly you can barely tell it's moving, and then all of a sudden you kind of blink and you're like, oh, we're way closer to this gate now. Oh, my God, we're not in the room anymore. We're outside now, mm. and you kind of don't even realize it's happening. Um it, that was the biggest takeaway from that movie. I wasn't a huge fan of it, um, but the shot's amazing, and it's it's sort of <laughs> kind of comes as a surprise in in that movie. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, I remember that shot. I don't remember how I felt about that movie. I feel like I really liked it, but that's a good pick. Chapin. Okay, um, my number five, and I'm just giving this one credit because it's uh so phenomenal i mean just because of the 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 technical achievement but um it's a film called russian arc have you heard of that yeah Yeah, i've never seen the whole whole movie is a take and i actually went and saw this movie in in a in a movie theater believe it or not but the whole movie is one take and it's a real one take um it's amazing not like like rope not like rope bird bird man or something um and uh yeah it's just um it's just, uh, it, I, it is kind of a boring movie to be honest with you. I, at least I remember <laughs> that one. I mean, I, I I saw it when I was you know eighteen, so I don't, and maybe I would be more interested in it now. But it's just a, an incredible technical achievement. There's two thousand extras in it, and this it's set in you know the uh, Russia in I think the seventeenth or eighteenth century, and they just go through this one. Um, I guess which what now is a museum, but was once a palace and there's all these like opulent things happening. There's a dance sequence. There's all these crazy things happening and it's all one take. And, um, they did it a couple of times, but yeah, just an incredible achievement. And I, 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 I couldn't leave it off this list because I mean, it's just one of those things that for, I mean, for the foreseeable future will be the, you know, the one movie that, that is a, a single take. Um, and so is it all one location or is it all over the place? Is it? Well, it, 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 it's a huge um, – let me let me just look it up real quick. But it's a huge uh, um, kind of palace that is like, you know, Versailles or something. Um, and they have all these things staged in it. And so, yeah, it, it goes around this – this. it's all in this this um, this palace. But it's it's uh, it's a steady cam shot. So they, they're just kind of walking around this thing uh, the whole time. Yeah. That's so interesting. Well <laughs> – I wonder what that the, schedule looked like. Yeah, one day. It's called the Winter Palace. So, like, yeah, it's a huge, huge palace. Yeah, their schedule like, is just like three days, one eight, day, eight like, weeks of rehearsal, and then yeah. <laughs> Interesting enough, uh, Jeremy. I thought I'd mention it. Roma, despite having a fifteen million dollar budget, shot for like a hundred and ten days. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they had a lot of extras, a lot of picture mm-hmm. cars. They had a lot going on there. That's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. All right, so my number five is the only scene I remember from this movie. Um, 
I think it's going to be on Lee's list too, but it's uh, <clears throat> the beach scene from Atonement. Oh yeah, oh, I never, I never saw Atonement. Oh, oh you gotta I, see it. for some reason, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, James McAvoy's in it. It's probably I want to say like a twelve-minute take or something like that. Yeah. And there's hundreds of extras. It's, it's Dunkirk. Pre- it's it is Dunkirk. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. Yeah, uh, it's pretty amazing. I've heard Definitely. of the I've heard about the shot, um, but I've never saw that movie. What I love oh. what I love about that take is the reason they did it is that they literally had a day to shoot it. They like set it yeah, all. They didn't up have all the extras and they, for long. Yeah, yeah, and they couldn't. They only had a day to do it, and so they had to do it all in one take in order to you know get the most out of that shot. I thought I think that's such an amazing reason to to do a single take it's like you you think of that as being so difficult and time consuming to to choreograph but they actually had to do it for time's sake interesting okay so my number four um is the shortest of my takes um it's actually really not all that long but it is (laughs) but it's the you'll understand why it's on this list when i tell you what it is but it's the it's the shot that made me think of this idea of like putting your actor through something um, and putting it all on your actor for for a take. And it's the shot on Mark Wahlberg while Jesse's girl is oh playing in God, Boogie that's Nights. Such a good, that's such a good one. And, like, God, like, this is this is the shot of what, like, makes me not understand Mark Wahlberg. Like, how can you be so good and then be what we see so it's, often? It's such him? a shame. It's such a shame. He is so good in that, and especially in that take. Like he, uh, I'm he, off the movie, right? I can talk about yeah, yeah, yeah. and open. <laughs> your, your non-disclosure yeah. is up, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think a part of it is that he he kind of found religion or something. Like he wants to be like a known as just the family man, and like he kind of he won't do he won't do that sort of stuff anymore. He won't. He won't play any, a like, porn star. Controvert, like he pretends, like you know, it didn't he almost didn't even happen. And it's like, dude, that's your best work. Yeah. Why does he? Why? Why do you think that is? I don't know. I don't know. Well, it, Cat, it's, it's kind of funny. Gill, didn't Burt? Didn't Burt Reynolds hate his role in that movie too? Well, yeah, he's an ornery yeah. motherfucker, though. Yeah. But I, okay, but he was great in that movie. I mean, I um, think he's turned around on that. But after he won a Golden Globe or an Oscar or whatever he won, well. He's <laughs> he did turn around on it, um, but uh, yeah, I mean that sh- one shot. It's about fifty seconds, so it's less than a minute. Feels longer than that, but um, and there's a lot of long takes in that movie. But this was the one that I chose because I just love that he chose to that PTA chose to yeah. do that shot and just kind of hold it on him. And you know, you see John C. Riley kind of lean over and say something to him at one point or another, but. You know, he looks down. He's looks. Uh, he's kind of looking around. Doesn't know what to do. He's high. His eyes are bloodshot. Like it's. It's just an amazing fifty seconds. Yeah. I wonder if that's something they discovered in editing, or if he had planned on doing it the whole time. Right. They just like the camera was still rolling by accident. Yeah. Okay. Right, my number four. Um, this was a, a late replacement, but I'm glad it's on here. It's um, Danny on his little uh, big wheels driving through the hotel in The Shining. Um, this is the shot I think of always when I think of this movie and, um, I revisit it often and I, it's not a movie I find to be particularly scary and, um, I go back and forth with, with how much I, I like it, but I, I find the photography in it extraordinary and it's this shot that I think sort of symbolizes that, um, uh, movie for me, the photography in that movie. And I just love it. I think it's it, it, the way it builds tension is, is amazing. It's kind of one of the first uses of the steady cam. Um, and just the, the sort of the sound effect of the, of the, of those sort of plastic wheels going over a carpet and then suddenly onto wood and then back on a carpet yeah. and that the yep. tension of that, um, it's extraordinary. The, he uses the space in that movie so well. And that is, you know, it's showing it off a bit in that sh- in that shot. Yeah, well, like, they built it. They might as well. <laughs> yeah, might as well, yeah. All right, my number four is definitely a cheat, and you guys are going to be like, oh, we're doing this. Is, this is going to open a can of worms, but I'm going to do it anyhow. <laughs> um, it is... True Detective season one episode four. Okay, yeah. I'm glad you. I'm glad I'm you glad mentioned it's on here. This. Yeah, because I was going to ask to mention a couple honorable mentions that were from TV, and that was one of them. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like it's it's definitely one of those where it brings attention to itself. But why not? Like if you're going to try and pull this off, 
it, let's let's bring the attention to itself. Like like why not? So um, we all I don't know if there's ever been a TV show in the top five before, but uh, if you haven't seen season one of True Detective, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, did you guys watch season two? Yeah, it's horrible. I tried. I didn't get through it. So I watched like two episodes. I, I heard it was terrible, but the um, the ending is pretty good. The you, you should go back and watch if you or you can you can just YouTube it. But um, like Colin Farrell's death in that movie is a pretty great last final scene. Um, mm, spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so um, I'm definitely not sorry watching. to spoil that awful TV show for you. Okay. Um, my number three, this is the one where you guys can tell me if there are any hidden cuts in here. Um, it is the opening battle scene in The Revenant. Yeah, there's definitely cuts. The film by Emmanuel Lebeski. Uh, yeah, so there I know de- like... There are deliberate some... cuts. Like, like yeah, the whole, it's not the that whole long. thing is not one shot. From when, when you pick up on Leo, like I think it is. No, it's not. For about two minutes. No, I just watched it. It's not. But uh, it, there are some long shots in there for sure. Well, I had a two-minute a two-minute bit that I kind of narrowed down that I thought was all one shot. There was only one spot where like a horse ran by where it looked like maybe it was cut to black real quick and and um, changed reels. Um, it, yeah, but, I mean, I thought of that too because it def- definitely feels like it. It feels like it's one shot. Um, but I looked at it too and I was like, oh, this isn't long enough. I wanted to get. I mean, I, I remembered that scene. I wanted to get a Lubezki shot on here. I was not putting any Quran movies. Um, and Birdman, I couldn't, um, remember. I know that movie is sort of a fake all one take also like Hitchcock's rope, but I couldn't remember any one in particular. Um, I'd have to see that movie again. So I went with this scene. Um, and also it kind of fit, like, I just like the emotion that Leo has in that whole movie is on full display in that scene too. And I, you know, obviously he got put through the ringer in that movie, but you see it here. And that was kind of fitting with that bit of a criteria too. Cool. Okay. Um, my number three is, uh, I wanted to get, uh, when I was thinking about the masters of the long shot, I wanted to get De Palma in here somewhere. And then I, it finally clicked with me because I've been watching a lot of his movies in the last six months or so. Um, and it is the, uh, train station sequence in Carlito's way. Not a great movie. It's a movie a lot of people talk about as being a great movie. I do not think it is a great movie, but this sequence is just um, astounding. It is so, um, it's so well done, and it and it's just it's 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 such a perfect use of the steady cam and the long shot in building tension and kind of moving around in a space. And do you, have you guys seen the movie? No, no, I'm afraid I have Oh, wait, no, I have seen it. It was a long time ago. I always called it Scarface 2. Um, yeah, exactly. So he is uh, he's trying to evade these Italian gangsters in, I think it's like Union Station or, or uh, Grand Central Station or one of those uh, places in New York, and he's just running around. And they can't, I think what's interesting about this sequence is that it's both it's both following Pacino running around, hiding from these guys, but you're also seeing... Um, you know the 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 gangsters in the background like looking for him and just kind of barely missing seeing him and it's just such it's a great sequence and it's it, the the way that they they move around such a big space it's it's pretty and a, 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 presumably a real space as well you know not one that's like um uh built like in the shining um and so yeah just uh, if you can check it out on youtube or something i i recommend it <clears throat> So when you said De Palma, yeah. I thought you were going to say the scene from Snake Eyes, which I saw come up on a bunch of lists. Yeah. No. Um, I haven't, well, I haven't definitely seen that deserves movie. to be on this list. Yeah. Uh, all right. Who's up? Me? Yeah, number no. three. Number three. And uh, I'm going back to the well of Boogie Nights, but I had to put it on here. And it's not the opening scene. It is the scene where William, William H. Macy... Um, walks through the halls when it turns 1980, right? Oh, before it, he kills himself? Before he kills Wait, I'm himself. I'm sorry, say that again? What, yeah. what is it? Yeah. It's the scene where the the camera, I think it's, it's probably, it's a steady cam, follows him out to, well, follows him into the house. He goes, he sees his wife cheating on him oh, again. Yeah. And then he walks back out, goes to his car, grabs the gun, walks back in, kills his wife and then kills himself and that rings in the new year yeah. <laughs> happy new year and everybody in the background is just like yeah. happy new year yeah. <laughs> yeah it was great yeah there's a lot of those good ones in that one yeah that's a good pick um all right my number two uh another director that um has a tendency to uh avoid edits comes from 
uh, Steve McQueen in 12 Years a Slave. Uh, it's the, oh, the yeah. hanging scene. Oh, yeah. When uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor is just hanging there, and it's a wide shot. Um, and he doesn't cut until a uh, woman brings over a cup of water for him to sip on. Um, I don't know why she didn't <laughs> let him down. I have to see that movie again to remember. But um, he's just kind of hanging there with his toes balancing, trying to keep from dying for about a minute and a half. And what really struck me about that scene, kind of rewatching it, I was just like, okay, you see a lot of scenes where someone is about to hang and the, you know, the bench is underneath them and it's going to move and you got the close up on their face and, you know, it's all in their eyes and you kind of see everything there. But here you just step back and you're like, holy shit, like, look what this guy has to do to <laughs> not make sure he doesn't die. And you just watch it for a minute and a half and it's sort of painful. Um, but it's, you know, very realistic in that sense. This is another movie where, um, I don't know. You find comforting. But that's what I'm saying. Is <laughs> if like, it was in black and white, it, it would have so been. It is so beautifully shot. And that shot in particular is just gorgeous. And yeah, it looks gorgeous. You're just like, yeah. what What am I supposed to feel here? Because, but <laughs> yeah. but no, to yeah. your point, there's also the guys, that, what I th- also found very. The people walking in the background. Exactly. Those people yeah. who are looking at him and are not allowed to help. Yeah. Extraordinary. It's, it's crazy. Okay, my number two is Lemo uh, Alfonso Curran for Gravity. Um, the opening? Yeah, I mean... Th- or any other This shot. doesn't really count. Because, I mean, it does count. It's not... the the You know, this whole movie was made, you know, wasn't really filmed in the traditional sense of the word. Um, and so there's that. But, I mean... Uh, and and so I, in saying that, it sounds like like oh they had it easy, but of course the you yeah. know the, the the making of this movie was a was a feat that I think is extra, extraordinary and um, the especially uh, I, I I just recently watched this and I after I finished watching it I, I popped in the the special features and um, even even in the visual effects world long takes are very very difficult to do. Um, and uh, I think it's easier to hide the seams, of course, but um, they, they're so effective, especially in, in this film. Like the again, going back to the typical thing, the tension uh, building here, but um, just also the way that the camera just kind of flies around is so appropriate for space. I think. What an experience that movie is! I re- I rewatched it only now for this the second time this past week, and just lamented the fact that I couldn't be watching it in the theater again, but. My God, like that movie is just an experience to yeah. sit through. It's amazing. All right. Um, my number two, and this is my number two and one are kind of the cliched ones, but they're, all, they're always the ones I first think of. Um, and my number two is the opening of The Player. Robert Altman's yeah, movie yeah, about yeah. Hollywood that references Touch reference of Evil. So, yeah. 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 And they yeah, reference so, Touch of Evil in it. Which... Yeah, exactly. Um, so I don't know what else to say. It's a great, they literally introduce all the characters, introduce all the plot lines in this one shot, which one character even talks about how there's too many cuts in movies now. It's always cut, 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 cut. And then he says, uh, uh, how great Touch of Evil opening is. <laughs> so it's very self-aware, and um, it was uh, it was well done. Um, okay, my number one. Jeremy, I, I, I feel like you're not going to like this pick, mm-hmm. um, mostly because I know you're not as big a fan of this movie as I am. Um, but it's the scene in Funny Games, Michael Haneke's Funny Games, the original Austrian version of Funny Games, uh, after their son Georgie is shot and killed um there's actually two long takes but uh the first one begins with just a shot of the tv with blood dripping down it and blood on the wall behind it that holds for about two minutes and you're just kind of watching uh this like nascar race um no dialogue you're just watching that and then it cuts to a wide shot and you see georgie lying on the ground shot to death you see his mother kneeling and you don't see his father. He's behind the couch on the other side. And you just watch for 10 minutes them processing this. Is it really a 10-minute 10-minute shot? Wait, what movie is this? I'm sorry. Funny Games. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, 10 minutes of these people just dealing with what just happened. And finally, you see her kind of – she's tied up. 
um, but she kind of struggles to make her way over to her husband and help her husband. Um, She basically goes to the kitchen and cuts herself loose and then goes to her husband, whose leg has been basically broken in half with a golf club earlier in the movie, um, and helps him to the door. And it's just, it's unreal. And um, I can't remember if it was this scene specifically, but I think it was. Um, Haneke did, like, an outrageous number of takes on this so his actors would be exhausted, so that they would look exhausted. Um, And, you know, regardless of what take he ended up using, it seemed to work because it's just... It's unreal, and the you never the entire scene plays, and the camera eventually moves a little bit, but the whole time this little kid just dead on the floor, and you can't stop looking at him. All right, Chapin, you're you got a number one for I us, do. Um, and I believe this is one take, and it is the going back to the Revenant. It is the bear attack, which I just watched, and I'm almost certain that there is not a cut in there. There may be a digital cut that we're not supposed to notice, but um, right, th- they. Uh, Inaratu was was very protective of how of how they made this sequence, and I don't think there's a lot of information about how they did it, and I can't figure it out. Um, but I think the fact that it is one take is um, incredible. It's uh, it makes it makes it so much more um, it's kind of both both believable, but also um, kind of hard to watch. Um, and I, I honestly have no idea how they did it. And uh, I, I, you can kind of... I think Leo really got yeah, uh, they, attacked by they, a bear. Well, that's what I was just thinking. Of, in, right? like, like, of all the things we credit Leo's performance in that movie, like that part, like him like you know rolling around screaming on the ground with nothing actually there <laughs> had to be... Well, there, there had to be something there. Because the way he, his body moves... Yeah, they. I mean, I know that. I know at one point there was, <laughs> it was a guy. It was in your eye too. He was just on top yeah. of them. <laughs> they, they brought a James Cameron. They were like, "We, we remember?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was actually a digital performance. Leo wasn't even in yeah. that movie. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad I put this as my number one. It was going to be my um, memorial list of this, but since you guys didn't bring it up, my number one is the Copacabana uh, scene. I was in hoping Goodfellas. it would make it. Yeah. Uh, it was I was gonna do Copacabana memorial list, but since you didn't mention it, um, I mean, what else is there to say over the years about this shot? Uh, I think they did it, you know, five or six times. All right, that's gonna do it for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Um, we want to thank you for listening and tune in next week for when we review. Who knows? I don't. We haven't decided. Nope. We will do it over text. <laughs> I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee. Um, did you guys read the or hear? I read the somewhere while I was looking up this list that like his the reason he like came up with that idea is because they weren't allowed to use the front entrance of the yeah restaurant. I don't believe that for a second. Because obviously you had to shut down that whole yeah, restaurant. Yeah, the kitchen right. for like days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But they're like, you can't use the yeah, front door. but you can't use the front door.